We're in a long sermon series walking through the book of Psalms, and this morning we step into Psalm 22. That's another long, long, another long psalm. This is the second of one of the longest psalms we've looked at up to this point. But before we jump in, we've got to set the context, because Psalm 22 sits in the context of Psalm 20 and 21, not just because of proximity, but because of theme. So in Psalm 20, a royal psalm, a psalm about the king of Israel, David writes a psalm from the perspective of the people. So the people are praying for the king. If we remember Psalm 20, verses 1 through 5, here's what was happening, the front part of Psalm 20. Just a review. Just let's take that review. The people were asking God to hear the prayers of the king, protect him, send him help and support, and to accept his sacrifices of worship. They're just praying for the king. And what we find is that God gives that answer. And in Psalm 21, another psalm about the king, what we get is the people declaring praise to God for the victory that he's given the king. Psalm 20 they're praying on behalf of the king because their life is linked to the king. Just We noted this as it relates to how the people link up with the life of the king. We noted this. Take a look. Here's a summary of that. The hope and the faith of the people were tied up with the life of their king, God's anointed one. So the king's victory was their victory. Their life was tied up with the life of the king. And so when the king comes back with the victories of God, they Praise God in Psalm 21. Just take a look. I just got two verses off of 20, Psalm 21 where they praise God for all of these good things. Here's, here's what, what the people praise God for. A Psalm of David. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. These are all the good God has given the king and the people praise God for the victory. And so in these two Psalms, 20 and 21, we have these notes, these, these melodies we're hearing played in both of the Psalms that, that God will give victory. God beats his enemies. God has a special relationship with his anointed one. Those, those, those notes are being played in those two Psalms. Psalm 21 has some of the same notes being played. Uh, 22. Psalm 22 has some of the same notes being played. Some of these same themes are going to run right through Psalm 22. But in Psalm 22, we hear something. We hear a note we've not heard before. Psalm 20, 21, all about the victory God's going to give His King. Psalm 22 shows us that there was great suffering that came before the victory. This is the thing we, didn't, we couldn't see in Psalm 20 and 21. As the people prayed for their king for victory, as the people declare all the good things they give in their king in 20 and 21, we never heard, we never heard the notes of suffering. But what we find in Psalm 22 is all those victories came on the heels of great suffering. That's where we go today. Psalm 22. A psalm of David. A long psalm. And rather than read the whole psalm in one big shot, we're just going to walk through it section by section. And man, there's an insight. Something you and I can do today coming out of this psalm. 
Psalm 22, we begin with verse 1. We'll take verse 1 through 2. David begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Here, up to this point, is probably the greatest words of anguish we have coming from the pen of David up to this point. Now, Psalm 10 and Psalm 13, we, 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 we saw the same kind of questions coming from David. Just take a look. Psalm 10. Um, Psalm 10.1, David writes, Why, Lord, do you stay far for, uh, stand far off? Why do you hide yourself uh, in times of trouble? Psalm 13, he began that psalm. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Both those psalms, David is crying out with great anguish. I mean, there is, there is some type of tension in his relationship with God. He does not feel God is close. In both of those questions, God seems to have hid himself in Psalm 22. It's not that God is hid. It's that God has utterly left him, completely forsaken him. And David sits with that, that feeling that God not, God has not hid himself. God is gone. But something Something inside of David, maybe those many years of being a shepherd boy in the fields, something in David remembers who God is. Even in the midst of feeling like God has left him, he still remembers who God is. And so in in just right here in the the midst of verse 1 and 2, we get verses 3 through 5. Take a look. So he continues, yet. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, your ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now I hope you see the tension. He remembers, right? He remembers. But God, you're the God whom our people have called out to and you've saved them. But you feel the tension, right? God, you've left me, but I know you saved them. One scholar notes the tension here by writing this. He says this, David feels a tension in his experience with God and in God's dealing with Israel. His God has abandoned him and is the object of questions. He's asking questions of God. Whereas God has saved his people and he's the object of their praise. I'm sure we have all felt this at some point. God, why have you left me? But I see you just took their cancer. You just healed them. Why haven't you healed me? God, you, 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 you mended that broken relationship. Why am I still getting a divorce? Like, I mean, why is everything good happening to them, but it's not happening here? Why have you left me? He feels the tension. He knows God's faithful, but man, he's struggling to feel it. So he goes on, we pick up verse 6, and he just continues to explore the suffering he's going through. Listen to how he describes his suffering. But I am a worm and not a man, verse 6, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. 
since he delights in him. Verse 6 through 8, David here returns to his suffering and David is struggling because he has people who are mocking him. And it's so bad that he feels less than human. Calls himself a worm. This is great suffering. And David is struggling right here. But just as in verse 1 and 2, he then remembers God in verse 3. Even in the the midst of verse 6 through 8, something is kindled in David. Something has set ablaze something inside of him. And for at least a brief moment, faith reemerges. And it drives him even to a prayer back to God for deliverance. It's something. Verse 9, let's pick up verse 9 through 11. So in the midst of feeling like a worm, not even a human being, verse 9 through 11, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. David says, God, you've left me. Then he remembers, but God, I know you've saved our people. Like, there's a history of our people calling out to you, and you've saved them. But man, God, I sure don't feel like it. I feel like a worm. I feel like less than a human being because my enemies around me, they mock me. But then, between verse 8 and 9, something rekindles. And just like he remembered that in the past, in the history of God's people, he saved them, he remembers. But even in my own life, God, Like, you sustained my life when I couldn't do anything. Like, my mom took care of me. He sure doesn't feel like God's near him right now, but he remembers at least back when he was born, God took care of him. Now, there's something to that. He sure doesn't feel like God's anywhere close right now, but he remembers that when he was a baby and he could do nothing, there was milk. There was at least milk. And there was at least a human being that made sure that he was taken care of. And for David... Even though he's not feeling it in this moment, he knows that there at least was a day way in the past when he was born that God was taking care of him. At least David can lock on to that. But that doesn't take away the pain of that in this moment. And so David returns to telling God how bad things are. Check this out. Verse 12 through 18, here's what he says. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, they tear their prey. They open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dry like a parchment. And my tongue, well, it sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. Even in the midst of remembering that in their past, God, I know you've delivered our people. And then he gets to this moment where he finally realizes, God, I don't feel like you're here. You've utterly abandoned me here, but I know I know you took care of me. Like, I know there was a moment where you took care of me. But, he, but then he returns to his suffering, and it's really bad. His bones are wasted away. His hands are pierced. His feet are pierced. People are even playing loose. They're gambling over his clothes. He's a dire situation. That's where we end, verse 18. 
And we don't know what has happened. We don't know how we get here. But something happens between verse 18 and 19. We've been seeing this shift happen as David moves back and forth between his suffering and remembering God's faithfulness. But something happens in verse 18. Right right in that space between those two verses, something has kindled in David. Maybe it's the habit of remembering that finally has grabbed hold and he will not forget again. But when we jump into verse 19, we move into a space where David is declaring deliverance. He's got a confidence that God's going to bring him through something we've not seen up to this point in this psalm. It's almost like a story as we're walking through it. And when we get to verse 19, we're moving into a place of victory. Verse 19, here's what we read. Verse 19 through 21. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. See, verse 19 through 21, David no longer sits without hope. Now something has happened inside of David, and now he prays with confidence, God, deliver me. Like, David can actually see there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But then, if that wasn't enough, something else begins to shift. It's not just that David has a confidence that he now can pray to God, knowing God will deliver him. Now... David just doesn't think about his deliverance. Now David moves to a place, and we don't know how he gets there. But when we step into verse 22, it's no longer longer David's deliverance. David now has a vision. Not only will he be saved, but he's going to step into church, and he's going to praise God with all God's people. He will step into the assembly of Israel, God's chosen people, and he's going to sing praises. So it's not just like, I'm going to be saved. I will be healed. Everything will be right with me. No, I'm going to church. And I'm going to praise God with all of God's people. They're going to join me in my praise. Sounds a lot like where we were with Psalm 20 and particularly Psalm 21. It's almost like we're moving there now. Check this out. Verse 22, 22 through 26. I declare your name to my people in the assembly of... I will praise you. That, that's like, I'm going to church, okay? You who fear the Lord, you praise Him. All the, you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him. But He's listened to His cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat, and they're going to be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord, they will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. We're moving to a place of victory at this point. David doesn't just think, I'll be saved. No, I'm going to church and I'm going to sing with all of God's people because He will save me. He will not shun His anointed one. He will deliver me, the king, and all of my people will join in the celebration of the king. Israel will sing with their king. But if you thought that was, if you thought that was enough, no. David takes it one step further to a place we've not been before 
You see, David doesn't just see himself singing with the people of Israel. He catches a vision that his victory that has come through his suffering, his victory won't just be the victory for Israel. People from every nation are going to join up and they're going to sing that song of victory. You see, Israel thought they and they alone were God's chosen. They and they alone had a special claim on God, the God of the universe. But what we know is God always had a plan to bring people from every tribe, every language, every tongue. We're going to get in on this salvation. And David here has a vision that through his suffering and the victory that comes through it, not only will Israel begin to sing praises, people from every nation are going to join in. Oh, Verse 27 through 31, here's how it ends. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and they will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. So not just the nations, not just Israel, even generations that don't exist yet, they will praise the Lord. So here's what we get. What started with a cry of anguish ends in victory. So here's, here's how I want to summarize Psalm 22 right here. What Psalm 22 reveals is that somehow the suffering of the king brings salvation to the world. But here's the thing. David's suffering didn't do this. But the suffering of the perfect king of Israel did do it. Do you hear that? Psalm 22 tells us somehow that suffering, the suffering of the king is going to bring salvation to the world. But you and I know David's suffering didn't do that. It was the suffering of the perfect king that does. Here's what's so cool is that a few hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will pick up on this same theme. Isaiah will catch a vision that God's servant is coming into the world and through that servant's suffering, healing will come to the people. Check this out. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 5. Surely he, the he here is the promised servant. He will be the future king. Surely he took our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. You know who the perfect King is. You know the servant that was to come into the world whose wounds would bring healing. It's Jesus. Psalm 22 is all about Jesus. A few hundred years later, Isaiah picks up on the same theme. He suffered for us. Your sins had to be dealt with and so do mine. Jesus took that suffering on Himself so that you could have life. This is all about Jesus. Now Paul, 
The Apostle Paul picks up this same theme when he writes his second letter to the Corinthians. He said it this way, just very concisely. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, the suffering king, when he gets the victory, you do too. Not because you deserve it or I do. If we're real honest with ourselves, all of us try to be God. We want to do what we want when we want to do it. And that cosmic rebellion's got to be dealt with. Jesus said, I will take it. I will suffer on their behalf. And the back end of the suffering is victory. It's resurrection. So what's so it should be no surprise then that as the gospel writers write the story of Jesus, like literally what happened in the life of Jesus, when they get to the ultimate moment of suffering, the cross, the crucifixion, when the gospel writers get to that moment, it would be no surprise that they take they make a direct hyperlink back to Psalm 22. That great psalm that describes the suffering of the king that leads to the salvation of the world, that psalm, they see that psalm, these words of David being fulfilled at the great moment of suffering of the perfect king. Check this out. This is so cool. I'm hoping you feel the aha moment like I did. If you didn't, just shake your head and make me feel that way. It'd be great. Thanks so much. Here we go. Look at Psalm, uh, Matthew 27, 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes for casting lots. Do you remember Psalm 22, 18? They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. He's the king that suffered. And they divided his clothes. That's what they did to Jesus. Go to the next one, uh, Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Remember what David experienced? Psalm 22, 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Jesus was the king that ultimately would bring salvation through his suffering. And then Matthew 27, 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. That's some of the mocking that Jesus received. Psalm 22, 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jesus, the perfect king, at the moment of suffering, is fulfilling Psalm 22. He is the perfect king who would suffer so we would have healing and salvation and victory. And if you think those connections were wild, the biggest, like the most clear connection between Jesus, the perfect king, the suffering servant, and Psalm 22 is Jesus himself. Here's what Jesus himself says. Matthew 27, 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He literally quotes the psalm and declares himself the suffering king. And maybe we might ask, is Jesus in that moment literally separated from the Father? Has the Father literally forsaken him? Well, that's a very complex theological question that, uh, on which books have been written. 
But here's what we do know. Whatever's happening inside the relationship of the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when Jesus quotes Psalm 22.1, a cry of anguish, He is identifying Himself as the suffering servant, the salvation of the world. But He's doing one more thing in quoting Psalm 22. Because when you, when you, when you quote one part, you get the whole thing. Just like if I started singing the part of one song, which I won't do, nor do I know what song I would sing. I'm thinking a journey song right now, but let's just, I won't go there, okay? Um, like, okay, sorry. I don't know how to sing, but man, it would be really cool if I would have played, uh, planned that. But um, if I would start singing a song that we all knew, you would have finished it, wouldn't you? You, you just to be able to finish it, okay? When Jesus quotes Psalm 22, the people could finish it. And here's what Jesus was saying. Take a look. When Jesus quotes Psalm 22.1, He's not only describing the depths of the suffering, He's also pointing to the coming salvation God will bring to the world. Because that's how Psalm 22 ends. It's a cry not only of suffering, but the victory that comes through Him. That's Psalm 22. There's a lot going on in Psalm 22. Now, let's make some application. Two things. There's just really two things here. Um, the first one's going to sound real churchy because it's something we learn from a really small age, but I don't want us to miss it in light of Psalm 22. Take a look. Here's the first application point I want to bring out. God loves you. Now, I'm trying to like, I, I once heard Dallas Willard say it this way, so I, I, and it really hit me because I've all, okay, God loves me, but it's that, it's that other piece. Like, He likes you. He likes you. Sometimes I think we think that God, like, He loves us, but He doesn't like us. They don't want to be around us. No, like, God loving you equals God likes you. He'd hang out with you. Okay? He'd hang out with you. Even George. He'd hang out with George. Maybe Jenny. I don't know. I I just see Jenny's face right here. Okay. Um, But God loves you, and so don't miss this. Like, He suffered for you. Don't ever forget. We can never forget the depth of our sin, and He went to the cross for you and me. I, I really don't think you and I will ever feel the weight of that until we get on the other side of eternity. I don't. I think our sin has so blinded and numbed us to the weight of our sin that we really have a hard time feeling it. But the day we do, we will be singing about it forever and ever. We will. And we won't get tired about talking about it because it will be so amazing. The things that are amazing in your life, you don't mind talking about. And you're probably never tired of talking about it. I think that's the way it'll be with God's love. Romans 5, 8, Paul said it this way. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were dead in your sin, and Christ died. I don't think we ever can forget that. And so I think Psalm 22 puts right in front of us the fact that Jesus suffered for you and me. And why? Because you're good? No. Because He loves us. And I think maybe one way to help remember that is He likes you. Don't forget that. So whatever you have done, whatever you're struggling with, whatever guilt you carry, don't you forget, He went to the cross knowing that too. You're not going to surprise Him with your sin. He loves you. All right. second thing is this. Remember God's faithfulness regularly, especially when you're suffering. 
It can become so easy in the midst of suffering and life really stinks that we become so narrow. Our, our vision becomes so narrow that we really think God has left us. And in those moments, you do not forget those points in life where you know God took care of you. You've got to hold on. And now, as I was sitting here on the front pew, I was thinking of Becky and Crow. Becky, all of us know, so many of us know at least, when she had this issue with her knee, and I think you had, what, 15 knee surgeries? It was amazing. Yeah, you felt like it. Yeah, five. I mean, and she was in rehab after rehab after rehab, and she couldn't be with her man, and like months away from anybody in these rehab centers. And I remember talking to Becky each time, and you would constantly say, God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. God's taken care of me in the past. God's going to take care of me now. I show you Becky Allen sitting in this room, right? Yeah, yeah. But I loved it because I'm telling you, Becky didn't feel like everything was going to be okay, but she knew God had taken care of her in the past. And I know this about y'all. Every one of you has a story. Seriously, every one of you has a story about how God has preserved you, taken care of you, did things for you that you did not deserve, and you need to grab onto those. Because today might suck, right? But you don't forget that 10 years ago he was holding you, and that guarantees he will hold you in the end. So just, we have to hold on to what David's doing here you don't forget those moments where God has been faithful. Because it does, not, it does not always feel like He is. But you can guarantee every one of you got a story. Hold on to those stories. Particularly when it's dark. So here's your next step. It's going to go right in line with this. Now there's a special piece to it. Tell someone this week about a time when God was faithful to you. Now here's what I'm thinking here. I know that I could have said remember a time kind of was part of the application, right? Like, remember those times God took care of you. I'm asking and I'm challenging all of us to take the step of actually speaking it. So, literally, get out of your mouth when God was faithful to you. So, like, tell, tell your, like, best friend, tell your spouse, tell your kid, tell someone one time where God took care of you. Like, literally, just speak it. There is power in speaking God's faithfulness. So you gotta get, we got to get it out of our mouth so that we can hear it and someone else can. I'm, I, like, Tess didn't know this next step was coming. And I know there's going to be a moment this week, and I'm going to, like, there's this thing in my mind where I'm going to you remember when God took care of us in this moment? And we just need to remember. Just speak it. So I don't know who you're going to tell. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell, tell the cashier. Hey, as you're scanning my groceries, can I tell you about a time God was faithful to me? Maybe you do that. Carl at Food Line, he'd listen, right? Y'all know Carl, but maybe that fell flat. Everybody, everybody know Carl? Okay. Sorry, I thought that was going to go over really well, but okay. It's, it's like the time I referenced Up, the movie Up. Yeah, that didn't go well either. So I just logged these things away. Yeah, don't do that again. Um, all right, so tell someone this week. A moment when God was faithful to you. You're going to need it. And that person may need it too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it challenges us. But also how it drives us to Jesus. Fully God, fully man. The suffering servant. Who died for my transgressions and theirs. 
and ours to people around the world. So would you please help draw us closer to Christ and we will remember your faithfulness. You have not let go of us as your children. No matter how dark the night or dry the valley, you are faithful. And so we'll go to bed tonight remembering that and we'll wake up tomorrow and go into the day remembering you are faithful. And in the end, you will carry us and you will hold us because Christ has the victory. We pray that in the name of our King Jesus and together we say, Amen.